So my name is Josephine Breedveld. I'm the research manager at the Mental Health Foundation. My name is Emma Wilson. I work at the LSE at the moment, but I have a background in mental health policy and communications and research. And you can find me on Twitter with my Twitter handle is at mindfulm. I'm Derek Tracy. I'm a consultant psychiatrist in South East London, and I sit on the editorial board of the British Journal of Psychiatrists, where I write its kaleidoscope and highlights columns. So today we'll be discussing um, one paper on internet gaming disorder, investigating the clinical relevance of a new phenomenon. Phenomenon, and the paper was really interesting. And Derek, do you, would you want to discuss a bit about the findings? Yeah, I, I put this in the January Kaleidoscope column. It was interesting to me for a few reasons. This is a, a paper by Prisil Bielski uh, in the American Journal of Psychiatry asking about is internet gaming disorder a thing and I was curious about this for a few reasons one is well is it a thing people I think there's a wide discussion about are there harms from using the internet are there harms from using games and so forth the other thing that interested me as a psychiatrist is that there has been lots of reasonable criticism of mental health and of psychiatry in particular about trying to over-diagnose everything, to put everything into categorical boxes. So one of the classic criticisms of things like ICD-10 or DSM, the manuals we use to diagnose, is that we're trying to make lots of boxes. And I wondered, well, is this another example, internet gaming disorder? Are we trying to draw a line around what people do in their lives and pathologize it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that actually the population that screened kind of positive or that would be diagnosed was very small. Um, and the other thing is that there's still a lot of, you know, debate about the links between the outcomes, the mental health outcomes and the use of gaming is, is also still very unclear. So I thought that was interesting and also quite good from the authors to highlight that in the conclusion and discussion there. Um, do you have any, what, what, what were your thoughts on that, Emma? I mean, I think seeing it as a, um, you know, positive or negative in terms of use of gaming for like, mental health treatment, um, I mean, my, my background is looking at how you can treat people um, with mental health problems, and that's mm -hmm. what I focused on my dissertation with. And, you know, I've seen that it can be, games can actually be a very good way of engaging with people through the non-traditional means. And there have been some studies that have taken place where um, games can actually, you know, through being creating an avatar, young people, for example, can actually go through this particular game with the principles of CBT. And I think that there is definitely a, a big scope for using games for positive reasons. Mm -hmm. I think it highlights there's probably not a lot of information in general out there. It's a start of a, a literature on the topic about harms or help for people. There were recent articles in The Guardian, Open Letters, talking about is there a moral panic, as the phrase was used, about using the internet, about using things like screen time. And it was interesting, just to give the, the findings of the paper, they looked at four large studies that were international and it covered nearly 20,000 people. So that's a lot of people they looked at. And the hypothesis is, if it's harmful, is it something like, say, gambling? Is it like another form of addiction? So, or addiction to maybe alcohol or drugs? And looking at those studies, the answer is no. It's, it's not clearly a problem. So that the research they found was between 0.3 and 1% of people who use Internet games might have a problem with it. So that means between 99 and 99.7% of people do not have it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's such a small, such a small proportion, um, but it's kind of evidence over anecdote because there's often, <laughs> often the saying that you know the the young people gaming and 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 particularly young, um, yeah, young adults, adolescents spending too much time on their screens, gaming all the time. People really, I guess, the public debate really sees that as as quite an issue, not necessarily a disorder, and I don't necessarily agree with putting making it into internet gaming disorder but a lot of people do highlight the fact that it is kind of that that technology can't be can't be used for for a positive as what you were highlighting Emma yeah and I think as well it is not a black or white situation in that you know the pressures that young people for example face today in terms of getting onto the housing into the housing market employment academics you know, there's a lot of pressures on young people, and actually, gaming could, you know, actually be good for their mental well-being because it's a chance to unwind, and relax. And I think it, it you can't say if, as a sweeping statement with digital technology and social networking. In any case, you can't say it's good, it's bad. There's two sides of the coin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then, to perhaps classify it as you were saying, Derek. Um, may not necessarily, and I'm now maybe putting words in your mouth, maybe something to discuss as well, whether we need to just talk about whether it's whether it's a disorder um, yeah. to spend too much time and to have, to have, well, of course there are clear criteria around what makes it a disorder, but do we have to talk about it in a way of being a disorder, even if we don't really know necessarily whether it's fully good or fully bad for, for people? I think they're dangerous with disorder because it introduces the, the whole baggage of diagnostic systems and classification, and that's probably unhelpful. I agree, I don't think it's black and white, so I would be surprised if there aren't a significant number of people who do have difficulties with internet gaming in that mm -hmm. it, it occupies a lot of their life. But I think that's true of any activity I can imagine where it, it takes over. Mm -hmm. The question is, is it harmful or not? It depends on people's lives. And, and going back to your, your point, the, the other plugging the British Journal again in, in January there's a talk about tech for good and it was discussing a, a game called Sea Hero Quest that people might have heard of this is you can get it online and the authors of the game are trying to collect the data to look about helping with understand dementia they're looking about how people use visuospatial tools in their or parts of their brain to navigate around so I don't it, it's I don't think it's harmful or good per se I think it depends on person depends what you're using it for mm -hmm. yeah and just to build upon that there's a, um, a study for the sparks adventure fantasy game which kind of links back to what i was talking about earlier and i think it was um found that there was a reduction in children young people who were having symptoms of depression and it was through gaming that that was it was quite a, no a novel way of um having treatment for young people which are presenting with certain mm -hmm. clinical symptoms but yeah so i, I I think there's definitely scope for more research to be done in this area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tech for good is a good uh, is a good phrase. I see that coming up quite a, quite a lot more that that phrase, and also organisations try to um, you know create a social enterprise out of their technologies. And and there there may be one one of the things that I'm noting in one of our projects, which is on digital mental health. It's called the Emen Project. Is that um, it's it's good, but as long as it's there is some evidence behind it, because sometimes what you also see is that products are being developed without um, 
you know, with, with a really good idea in mind, but they may actually be harmful because they have not been tested and piloted uh, in, in that respect. So there's something to be, to be said about making sure that the process is at least kind of taking, taking the right steps. And that's what we're doing with EMEN to make sure that there is kind of a quality framework that uh, for developers as well, so that they can learn about how to implement and how to test their methodologies well enough to make sure it has a positive rather than a negative effect on people. And I think within the context of the NHS, there are definitely opportunities to make efficiency savings. You know, access to treatment and the fact that only 0.7% of the NHS budget actually goes to children's mental health, for example, goes to show that there is definitely a, a gap in the market to increase patient choice, access, but without obviously compromising on quality, which is what you said, Josephine. So mm -hmm. it's trying to weigh all that up and I think there's definitely a gap in the market for greater coverage of support <coughs> through using digital mental mm -hmm. health interventions through online CBT or online therapy but it shouldn't replace face-to-face -face contact with clinicians but it can be used as an adjunct to that. I think it's really true and I think you did, we're seeing the growth of that now of the use of apps within in my field in mental health uh, and, and I think the realisation that this can be a very positive thing, a way for clinicians and service users to communicate, a way for data to be fed back both ways. There are lots of really, really rich things we can do. And I think, so I think there's lots of really positive things that can come out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And it's also interesting to look at, for example, at other countries who are already incorporating digital uh, quite extensively. Um, it's hard to put a, a key figure on how, f you know, how much digital is mental health is being used, or digital mental health programs are being used in uh, in the UK, and it can also mean so many things. So it could be an app, it could be blended therapy, it could be aftercare, it could be just general symptom monitoring on your on your mobile. But one of the interesting things is if you, for example, look at other countries um, like in Australia or in the Netherlands or Germany they all have their different approach to digital um, and it's also about sharing that learning I think between the countries to see um, some who have already kind of incorporated as part of their general commissioning system for example and see how you know because some some insurance uh, insurers in the Netherlands for example they have they have targets that they need to provide X amount of digital to people so and and as you say Emma it's a cost saving but it can also be perhaps something good um, to kind of also help uh, fill the treatment gap that's currently available and yeah. it can also be used in the interim period mm. so the waiting times that someone can have after they've been to their GP and they're being referred for talking therapy if there's something in the interim period for self-management that is proven to be you know, if it's it's recommended by the clinician themselves, then I think that's definitely something that can fill the gap when, you know, at a time when someone's mental health could deteriorate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also thought that this paper um, really related to another discussion, which is about the overuse of screen time as well. And I think that that's one of the other things that I would like to kind of flag is that that's also often seen as something harmful particularly for the young generation I think that the, you know people say you know, people spending too much time on their screens they're not socializing enough um, but even with that we're we're again not 100% clear 
is that a positive is that a negative um and what we can well and we need to perhaps wait and, and be informed by the evidence before we um before we make too harsh conclusions I, about that i think it's a really really interesting area and it's one that i think people have an instinctive sense this needs to be looked at to screen time so as a parent this is the type of thing that you kind of hear parents talking about is it good or, or is it bad I would commend the two open letters in The Guardian over December and January of 2016-2017. They had contrary viewpoints. One arguing that there is mm -hmm. some evidence for harm and we need to have some limitations, and one suggesting that we need to explore this more, but we really don't know enough. So, I, you know, I want to get in that quote that they use because I think it's, it's quite opposite, really. They, the, the argument was that quote from Socrates about that when writing was invented people worried that people would stop using their memories and it was just a new tool and I, I, th I think there just isn't that much information on it at the moment mm -hmm. but going back to like the apps I think they're, they're tools mm -hmm. I watch my son do his maths homework on an app on an iPad and he really engages with it because it's it's fun for him much more than a page of maths I do think probably most of us anecdotally have some concerns. I, I've noticed my reading pattern has changed. So if I'm on my phone jumping between news stories, I have a very fast click time. Yeah. And the art of longer reading and sustained attention, I personally worry will that be affected by it. So we, we, I think there's certainly a lot of work. We have new tools. They, act, they engage our brains in different ways, and there's lots of great strength from it. But there... Mm. There is a, an understandable concern about do we lose something? Is there an opportunity cost from working in that way? Yeah, I notice it in the um, field of higher education as well, just the way that students learn these days. It's the interactive environment that is kind of more engaging for a lot of students um, and just the way that we process things. Our brains in the 21st century aren't built to have constant stimulation by di the digital world and you know checking emails and you know staying in contact with friends I think in particular there's a pressure for young people who aren't aware because they're not you know they haven't matured enough to understand the dangers that could be caused by this constant bombardment of things that are going on in the world and I think it's a case for parents and schools to help young people understand how to regulate their use with screen time, but also to look at the positives that can become present, uh, present rather from uh, using screens, um, internet, and you know signposting. You know, you've got head head meds by the young minds, um, so young people can access information. So in a way, it's it's you can actually use the internet for prevention as well. And it's a good way to connect with other people who might be going through similar problems, particularly Twitter, for example. Um, when I've had periods where I've been unwell myself, mm -hmm. I've found that engaging with the Twitter community is actually very good for my mental well-being because it makes you feel connected and you can share stories with other people that you know. There's obviously the websites which pose more of a danger, but it's again it's about helping to support young people in knowing where they should look and building a digital identity mm -hmm. for themselves which is one that's safe and won't harm them adversely so a lot of it comes down to education from an early age I think.